This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Hello there. Star Wars and the Knights of the Old Republic series are filled with a lot of interesting names. Another interesting name you should be aware of is Zapendo. Zapendo is a way that you can send documents with e-signatures, manage contracts, and edit documents, and track who has received them, and do it all from one place for much less than comparable sites. You can also assign stakeholders who would need to be aware of certain contracts, log issues, risks, and attach copies of the contracts, everything like that and more. That's right. Yeah. Zapendo, it gives you the power to manage your contracts, edit them on the fly, send an e-signature, manage your expirations, alerts, and more. And all of that is unlimited with Zapendo, which sounds pretty great. So for more information... Head on over to Zapendo.com, and you can start a free trial. And you can use Old Republic 15 to save 15%. Again, that is Zapendo.com to start your free trial. And remember to use the promo code Old Republic 15 to get 15% off of your subscription. All right, and we can get back to the episode. Hello there, this is us from the future. We wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the KOTOR remake was officially announced. Now with that in mind, you can listen to us in the past. May the force be with you. Hello there, and welcome to the Old Republic podcast. We recently had a bit of a name shift, you know, kind of kind of bringing the, all things Old Republic under a, a bigger umbrella, and today is our 100th episode, so Yay. I, I guess this means we like Star Wars and KOTOR, uh, and... For this episode, we thought it would be really cool to bring on Alex Kane, uh, the writer behind Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, the the Boss Fights book, and we're thrilled to have him on. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Alex Kane. I, I wrote that book and published it in uh, 2019. Um, I've written for a bunch of different outlets. I, I freelanced for like seven years and then... Um, recently I got a, a staff editor gig, um, at reviewed.com, which is like USA Today's reviews site. Um, and now I'm kind of playing around with, uh, like screenwriting and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, you can find my writing all over the place, usatoday.com or, um, Polygon, starwars.com, Fangoria magazine, places like that. Awesome. awesome. That's really cool to hear you're getting into screenwriting. So this book kind of, I, I read it as research as we were kind of gearing up to create what became this podcast. And so it's really kind of like this podcast is coming full circle. So like if you can probably hear like we're, we're kind of like me and Brian are kind of like nerding out and freaking out but uh yeah (laughs) so yeah for sure Uh, earlier this year when cassie asked me to 
uh, come on and be a co-host on the podcast. She asked me if I had ever read your book, and I said no, and then she immediately said, okay, never mind. Don't come on to the podcast then. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> she she sent me a copy of it, um, and uh, she wrote me a note and said, here is Alex Kane's Knights of the Old Republic. It's a great uh, and concise book, and I hope we have him as a guest one day, and that day is today. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. It's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, everyone has a different path, like how they discovered Star Wars. Uh, what was your path? Um, I guess the short version is that when I was a kid, I was obsessed with robots. So um, my favorite movies growing up were things like Short Circuit, uh, the Transformers, the movie, um, Batteries Not Included, um, you know, things like that um, about you know, like kid friendly movies with robots. And so, uh, my mom would take like me and my sisters to like this place called Hogan's video. And, you know, we would just sort of wander around looking at VHS tapes. And, um, I, I think that at some point my mom just sort of picked out star Wars for me. And so I, I would have seen a new hope, uh, on VHS at a really, really young age. I don't really have a memory of that. Um, mm -hmm. what I do remember is, when the special editions came out and were in theaters, um, I talked to my dad into taking me to, we missed the first one. And then we ended up going to see empire and Jedi special edition in the theaters. Um, sort of my hometown theater where I saw a bunch of movies like lion King and Titanic growing up. And, uh, yeah, I think empire and Jedi back to back, like a month apart or whatever it was. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was seven years old, so, that yeah that definitely had an impact and um i got the vhs box set for like my birthday that year which funny enough those weren't the special editions it was like the other box set from like 95 so oh, yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> you know like a lot of guys my age grew up like um complaining and arguing over like the differences between the theatricals and the special editions and of course now there's a, a billion different cuts but um mm -hmm. That stuff never really bothered me too much. I mean, uh, I have my gripes, but like I sort of grew up watching the theatricals, even though I fell in love with the special editions. And then I was sort of a prequels kid, I guess, after that, because um, I was the same age of, as Jake Lloyd when episode one came out. I was a big fan of like the Obi-Wan, you know, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. Um, so excited to see him coming back soon. And um, and yeah, and then when the sequels came out, you know, it was like, it happened, the magic came back a third time. So, and, and we really didn't expect that to happen. I don't think people no. my age, yeah, like I, I was a big fan of like the force unleashed video games and, mm -hmm. you know, think things like that. But I, I, I kind of like had moved on from star Wars and like when George Lucas said that revenge of the Sith was like the end of it, I was like, okay, that's fine. And then I kind of went on with my life and kept kept reading like um the drew carpitian books you know that were sort of felt like they were knights of the old republic related even though they you know kind of were their own thing and uh yeah and then like the last jedi and rebels and like the marvel comics recently and um things like mando season one and i, I mean we've had like a lot of really good star wars stuff in recent years so yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, you know, things like Battlefront and 
fallen order. Uh, you know, I sort of have, have gone on hiatus from star Wars from time to time, like when I was a teenager and whatnot, but I always sort of find my way back to it. Uh, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I've, you know, cause I'm kind of like you, I'm old enough to remember these big long gaps where you think that it's over and then it just comes back <laughs> and hits you in the face. And yeah, now there's just so much, uh, stuff going on so much good stuff right now. It's yeah, it's just, it's surreal almost if you step back and kind of look at it, this thing that, you know, kind of goes into hibernation uh, for like 10 years at a time and then just comes back full throttle. Yeah. yeah. And it, it changes as you age, right? Like your perception of all of it just changes over time. So it, it never kind of gets old. I don't feel. Yeah. There was the, the documentary, the fan documentary, which I, I think you actually helped with the prequel strike back. Did you help with that? I contributed to the financing a little bit uh, when I, I couldn't really afford to do so, but I just was passionate about it and, and kind of like uh, I thought it was a cool idea. And so I gave, I gave like feedback along the way and sort of, uh, I don't know, consulted is probably too heavy a word, but you know, I talked to the director Bradley about it and, kind of gave my input um but uh i didn't i didn't really get too involved with it you know what i mean yeah but i I thought they did a good job i thought it was it was interesting it was fun yeah it was an excellent uh fan documentary and it kind of like helped me kind of like see the whole star wars saga a bit uh differently like kind of like all together and kind of like it doesn't necessarily like not every part needs to like be like uh, I don't know, super serious, you know, and it's just like, it's fun. And there is a good quote in it. It's like, I'm not just watching Star Wars. I'm watching my son watch Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, like mm-hmm. you kind of grow up with it and there's different phases. There's different seasons. But I mean, if you if you like Star Wars, uh, there's probably going to be something that you connect with. It doesn't mean you have to like everything. And if you like one facet of Star Wars, like you're still a Star Wars fan. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So who is the favorite Star Wars character? It's changed over the course of my life, I guess. Um, I When I got into it, like I said, I was like into robots as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. So so R2-D2 would have been my favorite character, um, you know, when I was really young. I think that as a teenager, it was definitely like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan with like, Luke being sort of right in there with him and I uh, always liked Yoda and, and and I always liked the minor characters, you know, the goofy like Dexter Jetster and um yeah, just the weird oddball George Lucas things that are in Star Wars. Um and then of course in recent years I've been a big uh Kylo Ren Ben Solo fan, so yeah. And I've come come to appreciate like other characters that I sort of, um, you know, like Han and Leia and, and even C-3PO. Like, I think if I watch the rise of Skywalker, I'm like, you know, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO has really been a treat for about 40, 45 years. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I appreciated that for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. E- easy to, uh, you know, kind of take for granted, uh, that you had him in that role. Uh, for so, so long good yeah. so good in it yeah yeah for sure but no i definitely i understand what you're saying because uh, my favorite character also is r2d2 
since I was little and still mm-hmm. is today. But as I as I get older, I appreciate other characters more. Like I kind of identify and appreciate like the Chewbacca as a character a lot more mm-hmm. now that I'm older. Um, you yes. know, kind of the the sacrifice and the friendship. Um, you know, and kind of being like that uh that binding you know, of like this uh, family and and the galaxy. So I yeah, I definitely can see how um, you know your the way you view characters uh, shift. Um, as you age with it oh yeah like i i really didn't pay attention to chewbacca when i was a kid uh but in rise of skywalker when like uh chewy cries out and finn turns to him and says like chewy and maybe even hugs him or whatever like i think that's like the most heartbreaking point uh. in that movie you know uh, when he loses leia um and mm-hmm. finn kind of comforts him uh yeah you you definitely as you mature the movie's kind of gain new uh you know it's a completely different experience as you kind of learn to appreciate different parts of them but yeah yeah r2 r2 is special for sure yeah and as a kid i i loved han and leia and but now like looking at the original trilogy i'm like oh vader vader is so interesting now and like anakin and padme growing up with the prequel trilogy and and then I kind of grew into liking Obi-Wan. Just, like, he's a multi-faceted character. He's always, like, consistent, but you get to see, like, different... Uh, you kind of get to see his evolution from 1 to 6, and, and that's really cool. And, of course, I like Poe and, and Kylo, and basically I like all the mm-hmm. characters, but <laughs> I think I just... Yep, yep. I guess if I had to, like, choose some favorites, I guess I, I would say those, so... Uh, kind of related to favorites, um, you're a big, big writer. Who are some of your favorite writers and authors? So in, in the realm of Star Wars, I think that uh, lately, I think Claudia Gray and Charles Soule get a lot of credit lately. Um, uh, the the comics, you know, Greg Pak, um, uh, you know, Kieran Gillen, like all those comics of the last like five or six years have been like outstanding. Um, Bloodline was a great novel. Uh, Ken Liu's uh, short story collection with, I think it's like uh, the adventure, the legend of Luke Skywalker. I'm probably getting that wrong, but that book yeah, was it, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the legends of Luke Skywalker. Yeah. That legends. was, that, yeah, that, that one's really good. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah, I was a huge fan of Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith novel, which like people have kind of rediscovered that in the yeah. last year or two and kind of like said, oh, shit, like everybody told me to read this. And like I finally got around to reading it. And yeah, it's as good as everybody says it is. And uh, I read that before the movie even came out. And, and to this day, I think I whatever I feel about the Revenge of the Sith movie, I think is really propped up by how great that book is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh Drew Carpition's Darth Bane trilogy. Um, I really love those. The only one I've reread so far from that is the the first one. I've read a few times because uh, I, I just kind of like the idea of um, the the. I don't know. Uh, there's something really cool about Bane as like this uh, student of the dark side and kind of uh, going off and and defying like the Sith institution and to try to make the Sith more powerful, but really he's just making himself more powerful and um, 
kind of shows the seductive nature of, of things that, you know, maybe you kind of view from the outside with like, uh, Vader or Kylo or, um, yeah, outside of star Wars, um, my, my tastes are all over the place. Um, I'm a big fan of like, uh, Stephen King, Joe Hill, um, the short stories of like Kelly link. Um, and then I, I sort of went to a, a fiction workshop in 2013 and studied under like Joe Hill and Neil Gaiman and, and wrote like a bunch of stories and read like probably like a million words of fiction or whatever. And then after that workshop, I kind of like lost um, the, <laughs> the desire to look at fiction for, for years. Right. Uh, literally, <laughs> literally I stopped writing fiction for like seven years or something and it was very hard to read fiction for a long time. And so um, that's when my taste sort of veered into nonfiction. And I started, uh, well, even in college, I got into people like Hunter S. Thompson, you know, like Fear and Loathing. And um, a, a lot of my favorite books are, are just like memoirs and biographies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the comedian Patton Oswalt wrote a book about how much he loves movies called silver screen fiend. And it's like a really beautiful little love letter to kind of like going to the movies and being obsessed with like the craft of, of that whole thing. And like in the end, he kind of confesses that he wants to be a director, but he doesn't really, you know, know how to go about it. So it's just like this book with him wrestling about this thing he loves. And um, I think my favorite book, if I had to pick one, um, is this biography of the comedian Phil Hartman called You Might Remember Me. It's by a guy named Mike okay. Nichols. Um, you know, I, I haven't really read anything else by that Mike Nichols guy, but that book is just one that I return to as like this really like well-researched, like beautiful portrait of like this tragic life that, you know, was like, you know, here was a guy who had everything and kind of... Um, the circumstances of his death were so shocking and tragic and his wife's death that it kind of just overshadowed his whole legacy. And he turned into, mm -hmm. you know, the SNL guy who, you know, uh, was tragically, you know, killed. Um, and so, um, beautiful book. Um, I'm a big fan of books like the disaster artist, um, which was sort of co-written ghost written by Tom Bissell, hmm. who's written like, gears of war games and stuff like that i mean uh, a like honestly in the last decade uh, a lot of my favorite writers are people in comics people in tv movies video games so um you know when i think of my favorite writers i think of things like better call saul you know i think of like twin peaks the return i think of you know charles soul and his like lando miniseries you know things like that, that yeah are not the, the obvious thing to name, like, you know, like Lord of the Rings or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, uh, this biography of Phil Hartman, whatever, like, these are the things that, like, really get me excited. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just sort of follow my curiosity wherever it leads, and I end up reading a lot of, or even, like, listening to audiobooks of, like, a lot of random books about creativity or, or memoirs, um, I'm not even like really a Rob Lowe fan, but he wrote like a great <laughs> memoir about acting <laughs> and uh, you know, stuff like that can be really fascinating. Um, 
more recently I read a book, uh, Andrew McCarthy from sort of the eighties brat pack. He, he wrote a great memoir about acting and that, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to be an actor and I don't really have any interest in, in, uh, like studying that craft or anything, but just stuff about like where artists kind of talk about their journey. Like that's always kind of, which I guess kind of leads into the whole, the Knights of the World Republic book in some way, I suppose. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like stories about creative people. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a really long winded tangential <laughs> way to answer your question. Oh, we love it. Like it, it's good to read and write and watch like a, a wide variety. I think it, kind of keeps people well-rounded uh what about you mm-hmm. what about you brian like who are your favorites oh um i i literally in the last two years i've just been uh i've just been like binging through all of the canon star wars stuff but um i guess more traditionally than that i i do too i like to read a lot of um, biographies the andre agassi one is particular one of my favorites and it's something like that. It's the same as you. I do, I do enjoy like tennis and watching tennis, but it's it's not really about that. It's just kind of about getting like a behind the scenes peek. You know, it's someone who's so like dedicated and you know so spectacular at something mm-hmm. uh, to kind of get like the inner workings of how that works, like in their head and their work ethic and you know kind of the behind the scenes stuff. That's that's what I really like. I really like um, like documentary films. Um, yeah. and stuff like, and stuff like that. That's, that's really what I connect with. Like if I'm, if we're scrolling through like Netflix at the end of the day, I'm going to choose a documentary like 10 times out of 10 pretty much. And, uh, yeah, same kind of carries over to my books. I just like getting, you know, kind of, yeah, like I said, kind of behind the scenes, kind of the inner workings of, uh, people's, you know, what, what they're doing to pursue their craft and things is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Biographies, like, if you if you want to see what makes people tick, like biographies are, are really good at doing that. For me, I I love Raymond Carver, uh, mm, Frank mm-hmm. Herbert. I am so excited for the the Dune adaptation, and I'm a kind of a classics person, so I do like uh, Homer and Virgil and <laughs> Dante. I I know he's like not classic, but he he was kind of inspired by them, obviously, and Mm-hmm. On the Star Wars side of things, like Matthew Stover, like yeah. I read that like in, in seventh grade, and I'm like, this is really good. And like then coming back to it, I'm like, eh, it was probably just me in middle school having not read a lot. And then I was like, this is still so good, and uh, mm-hmm. it perfectly kind of captures that tragic fall of a hero fall of an empire and the end of the age of heroes and kind of captured that uh classical feel i think too so yeah matthew stover and i do like uh claudia gray and charles soul a lot too so yeah mm-hmm. yeah matthew stover definitely took a different approach like i said i'd you know i'd pretty much binged all of these star wars novels over the past year and then uh i i listened to that one and then i just finished um shatterpoint which he did as well and it's it's so completely different than like any of the other you know books you know around the same uh kind of genre so is is refreshing to just see a completely different take on it yeah 
And then, Alex, like, what led you into uh, the world of, like, entertainment writing, like, for for all the different uh, kind of places you write for? I mean, gosh, it, it was essentially an accident. Um, I quit my banking job in 2014, um, not too long after I attended that writing workshop in Seattle back in 2013, um, when I wanted to be, you know, sort of the next Stephen King or whatever was kind of my ambition at the time. I quit banking um, and did freelance copy editing for like some publishers. And uh, at a certain point, the the guy who sort of hired me on a contract basis to be like the managing editor of this small press, he just sort of fell off the face of the earth. And like, (laughs) he, like he left, you know, me with all this money that he being owed to me and, you know, unpaid salary and all these authors that he hadn't like paid or anything. And, um, so I was like panicking and I was like, well, I guess I'm doing whatever someone will pay me to do. And, uh, Actually, one of the the guys who wrote for the video game Disco Elysium, a guy named, um, I think his name's Chris Priestman, um, he put out a tweet saying, like, you know, any freelance news types, you know, we need people to blog news for killscreen.com, which used to be a really cool website about video games, and now it kind of doesn't really exist anymore except as like this weird zombie consultancy company (laughs) but okay okay yeah at the time it was like a very hip video game blog and so i cold emailed him uh on my phone from the car and i didn't really have any clips that like were worth showing so i didn't attach any links you know even though i had been published since i was like a college student but mostly stuff that like I wouldn't want to show you today. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I just kind of emailed him really confidently and, and passionately and, and and tried to make sure that the email was well-written and kind of got the point across. And I guess he just sort of went, you know, I was 26. This was 20, the beginning of 2016. And he just sort of said, well, like, okay, like I'll let you write a thing and see how you do. And, uh, yeah, I wrote this like news article about the video game, the division, <laughs> like basically a news article based on a Reddit post. And, um, there's a great, uh, a great quote by, um, Mads Mikkelsen, I think in some interview where he said, like the most important job of his career is always the one he's doing right now. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, that sounds like really made up in like some BS, but, um, you know, I, I do try to take that approach when I'm working for like a new, like freelance client and trying to like do a new writing project, something outside my comfort zone. You know, I, like I said, it was a stupid little $20 news article for a blog about a Reddit post. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just sort of gave him my all at the time and he was happy with it. And then I, I went on to write probably like 50 or a hundred or 150 links posts for that site. Oh wow. Uh, and, and then they, they laid off all their editors very suddenly. And then, um, one of the editors got asked to write an article for Rolling Stone about the Halo series and he didn't feel like doing it. And so he's like, you should email this guy, Alex Kane. He's like a big Halo nerd. And so, that was like that, 
you know, Will Parton saying like, I don't really feel like doing this, like email this guy instead. Like I kind of owe my career to that moment. It's kind of stupid, but uh, you yeah. just get, you get lucky and you try to do good work and you try to be nice to people and leave a good pr- impression, I guess. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was kind of, you, you never really get a big break in like freelance writing or anything like that. But to the extent that I had a big break, it was, um, writing this halo review for rolling stone. And then, um, from there I was able to kind of like cold pitch myself to, uh, like star com and say, Hey, I've got these rolling stone clips. I'd love to write for star Wars. And, uh, and that, that kind of worked. And so I wrote for them for like three years. Um, and then I worked on the book a whole bunch during that time. And I, you know, I wound up getting like solicited by editors, um, for a while. So, uh, I sort of established myself for a brief period of time, like around 2019 or so as like the guy who writes about star Wars video games, which is not like a bad beat to (laughs) establish yourself in. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was really fun. That was really nice. And, uh, that's, yeah. One of the best periods of my life is like February, 2017 through like, um, you know, like early 2019, like celebration and stuff like, um, that was, and, and like my book coming out, that was just a really great period of, of getting to do things that, you know, I, like if I had told my 12 year old self, I definitely wouldn't have believed them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, even now I'm kind of like, I was, I was kind of lucky that I got to do some of those things. So, and then, yeah, eventually I guess, uh, seven years in, I was like, I'm tired of freelancing. I'm going to start like getting serious about like getting a, an actual job somewhere with like, you know, health insurance and whatnot. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so eventually the freelance career, I kind of, uh, just sort of burned out. Uh, you know, I don't really read about video games anymore and I, I kind of have run out of things to say about star Wars in some ways. Yeah. Um, you know, at least on like the, sort of critical journalism side i've kind of said everything i need to say there but um yeah it's uh that's that's sort of how it happened and yeah i, I never really I, I never want to sound like i'm tooting my own horn because i realized that i was just stupidly lucky and tripped and fell into a lot of cool opportunities and yeah uh, yeah well we're glad to have hold you out to to talk about star wars and video games again but uh, yeah that's right yeah yeah so you mentioned your your big halo fan uh mm-hmm. are there kind of like other film series or like video game franchises outside of star wars that you're big into gosh i mean i uh i'm a big fan of like bethesda's games and and i i sort of wrote a big uh Morrowind oral history that uh, came out around the same time as the book. And I, I love Skyrim and fallout four. And, um, I mean, gosh, I could go on for a long time, but yeah, like things like better call Saul and breaking bad are really, really important to me. I love those, that sort of universe. Um, yeah. I started collecting comic books around the time of like the force unleashed and like when they were doing the night sealed Republic comics oh, and yeah. at the time, you know, at the time I was kind of just like flipping through them and like looking at the art and being like, this is so cool. I wish I like understood comic books. And then, um, 
my Walden books went out of business. And then this guy opened like a small bookstore slash comic shop, um, in town here. And it was just the coolest place. And, uh, I, I wound up, he didn't have any star Wars comics in stock for a while. So I kind of just was like, well, I guess I'll check out some of these Batman comics, <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm apparently Batman is, is all the rage. And so, um, yeah, I really fell in love with like Batman comics for a long, long time. And I read like every issue of Scott Snyder's, um, initial Batman run, like the new 52 Batman. Um, I just love that kind of stuff. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, you know, I am a fan of things like Marvel. I am a fan of like, uh, like most of the DC stuff coming out now, like I've been really, I've had a lot of fun with, like I loved birds of prey and I'm very excited about, uh, the new Batman with like Robert Pattinson. You know, I'm excited to see how that goes. Um, you know, I sort of, I sort of just sort of, uh, wander from one pop culture thing to the next and kind of see what, uh, you know, really holds my interest. And, um, over time, you know, since I was like a small, small child, I've been a Batman fan because of the animated series with uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, Batman and Star Wars and I guess the Transformers, uh, you know, those are sort of things that have been kind of I've always loved. And then uh, my son is four years old and he is absolutely obsessed with Spider-Man. And so that kind of rubs off on me and like I've been a big fan of uh you know a lot of the comics over the last decade or so and the the insomniac games and um I, I always loved like Spider-Man 2 when I was younger but now I'm you know I I really love Homecoming and um you know I'm excited about uh the the new one coming out and things like that so yeah um but yeah, I think that Miles Morales Insomniac game was uh, one of my favorite sort of video game stories in recent memory. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm Miles Morales is so cool. Uh, just seeing uh, Into the Spider Verse, like I love that film so much. So yeah, like I I wouldn't have necessarily been as obsessed with it as like a lot of people were, but because I had like a three year old son at home or you know, however. He must have been two or three at the time when, and he just watched that over and over. So we saw it like a hundred times because, you know, that's what kids do, right? It's like he had his period where where he watched like Shrek 300 times and (laughs) Moana and Thor Ragnarok. And and when he got around to to doing that with like the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans and Homecoming and Into the Spider-Verse, like I really fell in love with all those characters again. So yeah, Spider-Man is... uh, very important in this household uh you know as far as Sp- star wars is kind of my thing and i guess my kid likes it but uh, yeah it's like spider-man and batman are sort of the 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 big pop culture staples here and i love horror movies uh that's uh you asked about like sort of ip and franchises um mm-hmm. i'm actually i'm writing a horror screenplay right now and so um, oh, cool I'm 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 a big fan of like the Halloween series, Friday the thirteenth. Very, very excited to go see like Halloween kills. Um you know, stuff like that. 
I, I was a big Scream fan as a kid. We've got another one of those coming out now. So Scream 5 or whatever. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I love all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Love the Alien franchise. Yeah. But, yeah. And, yeah, horror, horror is a good way to go because you kind of get to do genre, but it, it doesn't, it usually doesn't cost as much and, like, it's very popular with a lot of people. So, yeah, good way to go. Yeah, they they tend to be they tend to be a little like low risk, high profit when they they get made and they do well. I guess like uh, Get Out was made for like what f- like four million dollars, just like nothing basically, mm-hmm. um, and and just like exploded. So, and and that was the case with you know many horror movies before that, like Friday the Thirteenth. So, uh. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating kind of genre, like horror movies for sure. Yeah. And I mean, this is being recorded end of August and when it comes out, it's probably going to be Christmas, but yeah, looking forward to <laughs> a lot of horror films coming out this fall. Uh but Yeah. Um I guess we could take a quick break and we'll be back soon. All right, so I guess now, uh, Alex, the reason uh, we were, you know, so keen on getting you on here, uh, like Cassie had mentioned, you were kind of the catalyst in, you know, getting her interested in starting this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 100 episodes ago. Uh, so you wrote this book, uh, Boss Fight Book, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. So how did that happen? Did they come to you and say, hey, we want you to write a book or were you like, oh, they're writing these books. I am a big fan of KOTOR. And you pitched it to them. How did how did this book come into existence? Well, so I went freelance in like 2014. And it was, you know, to to become, to get into publishing and become like a writer. And it was sort of the goal, basically, you know, um, try to build some kind of writing career, whatever that looked like. And um, I think at some point I just sort of became aware of the boss fight books through, you know, a tw- like a, a Twitter thing or something. And they, they mm-hmm. put out, um, they put out like an annual call for submissions. They want like pitches from writers and to kind of hear what people, uh, want to write about potentially. And, uh, each book is focused on one particular game. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of for them, it's about getting like an interesting angle on it. And I want to say that around, I must've read one of their books or two of their books around like 2015. And, uh, I pitched them first on the idea of doing a halo two book, uh, because Mm -hmm. at the time I would have said like, that's my number one favorite game of all time. I was like a huge halo two fan and still am. Um, but it would have been very hard to write that book because I would have just been gushing about how much I love Halo 2. And, and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily interesting to read. Uh, so, um, it, like, I guess the KOTOR book was a perfect storm of me breaking into, like, games journalism, getting really into Destiny, which uh, reminded me a lot of KOTOR. It, like, brought a lot of feelings back, you know? It was like... Um, 
I sort of went freelance and had a lot of free time, got very addicted to Destiny. <laughs> and uh, I was like, Destiny sort of feels like this weird hybrid of like Halo and KOTOR, you know, sort of in my mind at the time. Uh, so those mm-hmm. were just the things that I was sort of reminiscing about. Um, and then I, I, so I pitched them the Halo 2 book and they sort of sent like a kind reply and they're like, well, we don't know, like, uh, you know, keep in touch. We'll, we'll think about it. You know, they never said no, they never said yes. And then, uh, so the following year, like probably May of 2016 or something, I was like, you know, here's this other idea for a KOTOR book. And the book I pitched was not the book that I wrote either. Um, so Mm -hmm. it was, it was like this weird, scholarly critical thing where I was like, I'm going to delve into the morality system. And I I don't know, it would have been like the kind of book that I would absolutely hate to read. And so, uh, but so then Gabe, uh, the editor at boss fight ended up calling me on the phone in like October of 2016. And basically he said, would you rather write halo or KOTOR? And, uh, I just like the timing of 2016, it was like rogue one had, was about to come out. Um, you know, Kylo Ren's mask looked a lot like Revan's. <laughs> there, there are like all these sort of things in the air that, uh, you had rebels doing things with like Malachor and the timing was just kind of perfect to like, uh, rediscover KOTOR, I guess for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I went with that one and, uh, I'm really glad I did because there's just like so much to, um, unpack with kind of where this one specific story is situated inside this massive like IP machine, you know, <laughs> sort of like mm-hmm. star, the star forge metaphor, I guess with the, you know, um, you know, star Wars is going to kind of outlive me and, and go on forever. And then they're just going to keep building on it. And uh, for a lot of people, KOTOR is just this special little, uh, thing at the heart of it that just kind of never goes away. And so, yeah, between talking to the creators and kind of, uh, exploring, you know, like what does KOTOR mean today? You know, it it was fun. It was, uh, they like boss fight was interested in that. And I, I think a lot of people, um, kind of were excited by the announcement of the book and, and I certainly had a lot of fun revisiting the game. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. What were the discussions like, I guess, to get it from, you know, what you'd kind of pitched and what you'd kind of imagined to, you know, kind of this behind the scenes documentary kind of book that we um, ended up with here. Oh, so yeah. What, what was it like to kind of (laughs) pivot? Um, That's a good question. I think that basically I, was like, this is definitely what I want to do. Um, I, I don't know what exactly the influences were at the time. I, I think, I think a big part of it was like, uh, Phil Showstack's art books coming out and kind of like, um, between that and like sort of reading things like the disaster artist and the fact that I, I wasn't really interested in sort of like unpacking, you know, um, I don't know. Star Wars is like this weird thing. And like, there's a danger in taking certain aspects of it too seriously. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I just, I sort of saw the, the 
pitfalls in what I was attempting to do. And I was like, I'd much rather kind of explore the creative process and do kind of like a making of book because that's the kind of thing I like to read right now. You know, I, I liked the art of the last Jedi. I liked the disaster artist. I, I didn't want to read about like why Revan is like a good guy or a bad guy or <laughs> whatever the hell I thought I was going to write about when I started. Um, mm. Well, in the whole like re like the, erasing an identity and replacing it with like a false one. And like, I don't know it, it the book that I pitched was way over my head. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was a great pitch for somebody very highly intelligent and highly educated to write. And I just, um, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to write that book. So, um, I must've emailed the boss fight guys at some point And, uh, they must have been like, cool, sounds good, because uh, I don't remember any kind of like uh, nervousness about it, really. I think they were enthusiastic, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of other people who were working on boss fight books at that time were kind of taking the uh, the let's interview the creators angle, and so they saw that as like, oh, like good, you know, that'll fit. So, um, yeah, I guess that's as well as I can remember it. That's awesome, and glad I kind of went that direction because yeah, I think it's it's an interesting take to see part of like the game development side of it that you wouldn't normally uh, see or think about. You know, kind of the creatives behind the scenes that are uh, coming up with all of this stuff. So, uh, so so we need to know, I guess. So it sounds like uh, you've been into video games for uh, most of your life, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so Kotor was that something that you played back in in or around two thousand and three or? Yeah, it was one of those things that like I found through the internet um, when it had like it got announced and LucasArts had like a website dedicated to just KOTOR and they would post like concept art and kind of it had this really weird, unique look. And I was like, man, this doesn't really look like Star Wars at all. This is this is weird. I, I don't know about this, you know. And so it was kind of just it got your attention. Um, I. I think you can still like access that on the Wayback, uh, the oh, what okay. is it? The Wayback Machine. You can kind of the see Wayback what, Machine. Yeah, yeah, what that website looked like at the time, and um, it just had this weird sort of brassy, leathery, medieval texture to it that, uh, you know, I guess you do see kind of in like Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith, but it looked very different at the time. And, uh, so I was just like, you know, I, I sort of kept up with it in, you know, this was back in the days of like video game print magazines, like electronic gaming monthly and official Xbox magazine and Nintendo power. I, I like loved that stuff. And, uh, that was sort of, you know, it wasn't like you wait until the reviews come out and you buy the games to get 10 out of 10. Like back then mm-hmm. for me, it was like looking at screenshots and seeing like this weird creature and being like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I'm going to play <laughs> that game. And uh, that's how I got into games like Morrowind and Night Sealed Republic and Splinter Cell. It was just seeing screenshots printed in a magazine and reading about them. And um, so KOTOR came out six days before my birthday, like my 14th birthday. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was like my birthday present. And, uh, <laughs> I just, it was like love at first sight, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I got really hooked on it and 
um, yeah, looking back, it was, it was definitely like probably, probably my second or third favorite game on the original Xbox, which, um, you know, is one of my favorite consoles of all time. So, um, it was very, it had a huge impact on me and the way I looked at star Wars. And I don't know if like without KOTOR, I don't know that I would have like been such a huge fan over all the years, you know? So mm-hmm. same here, honestly, uh, <laughs> you know? I, yeah. It was like, it was really special and, um, it's still fun to play. You know, I love the combat. I love just kind of the, uh, the way that you can take ownership of the character and kind of play your own way. Um, but yeah, I'm rambling. So I've kind of forgotten what the initial question was. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I, I did. I played it within the first, like either the day it came out or within like a few days of it coming out. And so, yeah, I've always loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so then I guess fast forward, like, I don't know, 15 odd years and you're, uh, you know, starting to work on this book. Uh, did you like go and uh, drag out the old Xbox and immediately start playing it again to, to, get back into the groove of how this game was or uh did you did you not really touch it again or were you just playing it all the time or yeah so thankfully my not my original xbox because i once slipped on some ice in front of my house and broke my original xbox in a book bag tragically uh so it was i had a second (laughs) so so you mean the uh the xbox didn't like go through the sidewalk (laughs) (laughs) uh no unfortunately yeah that first xbox like the corner hit the ice and it didn't survive Uh... so i sort of like begged my parents to like have mercy on me and and buy me a second one uh i had saved up my money over the course of like six months to buy my first xbox and so that slip and fall on the ice just killed me and they actually they're like they felt bad for me and they bought me a second xbox and uh i still have that thing miraculously and so um now Knights of the Old Republic and Morrowind and a bunch of other games are backward compatible on like the Series X and stuff, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I started working on the book and working on that Morrowind oral history, like uh, I did have to dust off the old school Xbox and, and play it that way. And so, um, yeah, I've since replayed it, you know, on both ways, like the original Xbox and, uh, on, you know, backward compatibility where it's like buttery smooth and stuff and looks a little better, but yeah yeah that was that was cool to kind of like hold that same disc from 2003 again you know i'm glad i held on to that stuff (laughs) uh yeah yeah i think looking back my favorite games come from like the i was like on the ps2 side of things ps3 Mm -hmm. like i don't know there's something kind of special about like before everything kind of went online and got super high def you know like i do like games now nowadays of course but like I don't know. It kind of seemed like a, a little bit like it wasn't like really about the graphics. It was about kind of the world, the design, the gameplay and the story and characters. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like abstract impressionistic painting. Like it's you you only have like so many polygons that you can like handle the hardware can handle. And uh, yeah, they they had to make tough choices like can the memory hold like Jedi robes on the characters, you know? And it's like, they had to make sacrifices. And so like what you see in something like Mario 64 and Knights of the Old Republic, it's like this weird snapshot of time, you know? 
uh, now we have like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and Miles Morales, and it's like, how can games get any better? Like it seems, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. uh, thing they're so good now. Uh, but back then it was like they they had. There's this great quote, and I don't know what the quote exactly is, but Brian Eno, who's like a music producer, musician, composer guy, um, one of those intelligent uh, British music nerds, and he says, like, the technological constraints of art are, like, what makes great art or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I look at old Nintendo 64 games and people see this ugly, broken thing, and I'm like, no, that's, like... It doesn't get any better than that. What are you talking about? You know, and PS2 is the same way, of course. Yeah, definitely the, you know, the creativity through constraint. Yeah, it just, it made, I, at least for, you know, people like us, like Cassio, myself, it made, you know, the story that much, that much more important and uh, impactful, I think, to, you know, to see it in those settings. Cause like you said, now, you know, Ratchet and Clank's loading an entire world, you know, before you can even like blink your eye to, to see it happen. So it's wild. Um, well, so speaking of kind of the, the restraints and things. So when you were, you know, doing the research for the book, was there, um, one aspect or you know maybe a couple of aspects or things that you learned um maybe about about kotor itself but maybe just about kind of the video game industry as a whole were there were there some things that surprised you to learn about what that process was like uh so i wrote about video games in sort of like a professional or semi-professional capacity for like four or five years and the thing you come out of that learning is that uh video game developers are not transparent. They, they really don't want you to know the sort of blood and sweat that goes into these things. They don't want you to see how ugly it, the product is until it ships. And, and uh, you know, of course there's a lot of like labor discussions that happen about, you know, people like rockstar games going, haha, we worked like 94 hour weeks, you know, making red dead <laughs> right. and oh. people go, you you did what <laughs> uh you know <laughs> and so um kotor like talking to those guys like sort of 15 years after the fact or whatever uh they were able to be pretty obviously their memories weren't perfect but they were able to be pretty like candid about it and be like this is what it was like to work at bioware in 2001 and you know these are the things that worried us and these are you know the things that we wanted to do and weren't able to. And so uh, it was just a very good kind of crash course. And it's not like I wrote the book in a super short span of time. I, I sort of procrastinated for a long time, uh, sort of terrified of it. You know, I sort of signed the contract Mm -hmm. and then like flailed like Kermit for a year. Uh, And then eventually was like, Oh shit, I got to write this thing. So um, I worked on it for a good, like, year and a half and then sort of revised it and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it taught me, um, the, the things that I needed to know to really, to cover like video game development in a meaningful way, like in other projects and other articles and things. And so, um, that Morrowind oral history that I, that came out probably a month before the book, you know, uh, I look at it and I'm like, I I sort of like knocked that off in like the course of a month or something. Uh, But 
you know, it took me like two years of working on the KOTOR book to get to the point where I was even capable of like doing something like that. So, um, yeah, video game development is like this big, messy process that, um, you know, today, like game developers like Insomniac, they're able to deliver games like Miles Morales and Ratchet and Clank in the span of like six or seven months. Um, mm-hmm. You know, back then, uh, developers didn't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, and so that's <laughs> right. that's a really fascinating thing about talking to these guys from like Bethesda or Bioware. Or, um, you know, I, I wrote an oral history of like Spider-Man 2 that Treyarch did. Um, oh, such a good game. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And uh, yeah, the sort of running theme of talking to people about games that came out 15, 20 years ago is that they really just had no idea what they were doing most of the time. You had a lot of smart, talented 23-year-old, you know, people, <laughs> you know, just kind of who loved games and they just wanted to try things and, and they hoped it worked out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that a lot of it was sort of coming away from it, realizing how little... You know, how sort of, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, how immature and undeveloped the the industry of games was back then. Uh, and so when you have, like, when you have stories coming out today about, uh, you know, like, horrible toxic culture at Blizzard or, like, horrible crunch at Rockstar or, or Naughty Dog or what have you, it's like, you can kind of see, like, how we got here. Um, you know, mm-hmm. by looking at some of those older games and, um, you know, it's, it's like Nintendo when they talk about like how they made breath of the wild or they made like some Mario game like decades ago, it's like the exception that proves the rule in some cases, like, um, the industry, um, has really just only recently kind of figured out, <laughs> you know, how to, to be a healthy kind of thriving, uh, you know, art form the way that, you know, movies have probably been for a, a much longer period of time, you know, in some cases. So. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. Like, like you said, cause things were moving so fast and like the size of these games blew up so fast. And I think they were just trying to, you know, struggling to kind of keep up up with it and it just kind of bred you know kind of those those situations but yeah that's that's really interesting to get kind of uh like i said kind of a behind the scenes look at you know what went into it and on these teams and kind of these different creative mindsets all coming together uh so that's that's really cool i think and just how much of that game came from like uh tabletop like D and and that whole kind of culture that was sort of alien to me uh until you know, maybe 2014 or so, you know, I didn't really grow up around like D and D and stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. I guess like KOTOR, the, like the book surprised me in that way too, like to discover that, um, you know, Drew Carpitian and like all these guys, they're really drawing from, uh, this, this whole other sort of IP and culture that, um, pretty foreign to me so that was kind of fun to to wrestle with that tension of like feeling like i was in sort of an expert on star wars but really didn't know anything about you know tabletop D D beyond like 
the one time that I had played it at that point. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I, to to get back to Kotor, um, and I, I guess I want to ask you two ways because we talked a little bit about your favorite Star Wars characters and and how you'd said they kind of had evolved as as you'd aged. So, uh, yeah. we want we want to know who your favorite Kotor character is. Uh, who was it in 2003 and who was it at the end of writing this book or when you're done writing the book, you're like done with KOTOR and <laughs> never want to look at it again. Hmm. Uh, you know, I might've said if it was 2003, I would probably be like, well, obviously like my Revan was really important to me and blah, blah, blah. And, and I would have also given the pretty predictable HK 47 answer probably back then. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think now, uh, in more recent years since I, the book came out and working on the book, like I think Bastila would be like my number one. Um, I'm also really impressed by like Juhani as a character. Um, I think even seeing fan art of KOTOR like around the last three years or so, I, I've like kind of come around on like Darth Malak. Like he's, he's kind of a cool character in his own weird, goofy way. Um, yeah. Malak's jaw but... doesn't do him any favors. Like <laughs> there's like two Malaks in my head, like the goofy jaw. And then I was like, Oh, he does kind of have a tragic backstory, you know, like that people could get into, but mostly sometimes I just see the jaw. So. Yeah, yeah, the comics, the comics kind of built him up more, I guess. And I should go back and read even more of those. But um, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I kind of I like all the characters, I guess, in various ways. Um, you know, I thought I always thought like Zalbar's dialogue was good. Um, I, 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 I've pretty much always felt the same way about Karth, which is that like people are a little hard on him and I think he's pretty cool, but yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I, I really like Bastila and the whole concept of battle meditation. And um, she kind of has this parallel with Ray and kind of um, the way the Jedi council regards Bastila is similar to the way our culture regards Ray. I feel like, which is that like she has this sort of, um, unharnessed like dangerous like feminine power which is like you know in ray's case it's the whole just being like a a badass jedi who's a little unhoned and then um in bastila's case the you know battle meditation like changing the course of the war and like even though i think she's referred to as sort of a padawan so uh I'm sure you guys will correct me if I'm wrong about that, but yeah. you know, I, I, I think that's, that's fascinating that, uh, yeah, that, that whole, the idea of like a young untrained force user being like really dangerous for a number of reasons, kind of the way, you know, Anakin is like nine years old, but he's too, too old to train. And then Luke is certainly too old to, to train an empire. You know, it's like, um, you know, they, the, their power is too great they can't control it and then you get like the ben solo type tragedies that come out of that yeah. so yeah i don't know i think bastila is really cool like the fact that she you know falls to the dark side and then comes back from it which i guess like revan did the same thing but his was sort of like not his choice whereas bastila like she sort of consciously makes that that decision to you know 
um, come back from the darkness or whatever. So yeah, it's it's a little bit like a a ring theory. Uh, Brian and I kind of noticed that like after uh, watching the prequel strike back and kind of becoming more familiar with Mike Klimo's ring theory, but I <laughs> think people are too harsh on Karth, and I'm like, you know what, like. <laughs> Sometimes people don't want to talk about it, you know, and he's he's been through a lot, you know, like losing his family, his planet, his son, and like being betrayed by like, you know, his, his boss, you know, and I, I do like your answer about Bastila being uh, your favorite because I think like playing KOTOR, like Karth and Bastila were always like my favorites, but I kind of have come to understand like them like a bit more as characters doing this podcast and Bastila is kind of the one who she's kind of like trying to present herself as an Obi-Wan but she's much more of an Anakin and yeah mm -hmm. and she's kind of the one who makes the choice that like kind of like makes the whole plot happen like she decides to spare Darth Revan and like she kind of like starts out conflicted, you know, conflicted good, kind of like just rehashing dogma and then kind of like falling to the dark side uh, and then kind of like coming out of it and kind of like becoming the best version of herself, kind of a, a synthesis of her experiences. And I was like, oh, that that's like a really cool arc. And like she kind of made it all... All happen, and I like what you said, like kind of connecting Bastlo with Ray, and like I think it, if there were to be a remake or, or an adaptation, I hope that uh, it wouldn't just be the Revan show. You know, like they would be able to highlight a lot of the other other characters mm -hmm. of Kotor. Yeah, I, I sort of have like this this idea in my head, this pitch of like what you know, my ideal KOTOR adaptation would be in like the realm of like movies and TV. And I think that Bastila to me is the main character of the story. And Revan is, um, you know, he's more of this like force or, or, you know, she, she or they, or, you know, whatever Revan is to, to, you know, the, the player in question. But, uh, to, to mm -hmm. me, Revan is more like this sort of, um, like mythical figure that kind of, you know, uh, sort of like in apocalypse. Now you have the, the Colonel Kurtz, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think Revan works better in that kind of, uh, place in the story where you're trying to understand this really complicated figure from the outside, you know, or, um, like the movie, Steve jobs, that it kind of shows Steve jobs as this really complicated, you know, he's kind of an asshole and uh you know i don't think that movie but the, i love that movie a lot because of the way you you get all these sort of viewpoints on him and um you know like it wouldn't work without uh you know i think it's like chris ann and um you know uh I can't remember the main character's name, but Kate Winslet's character uh, is sort of the main character in that, the sort of audience proxy character who like, you know, without them, the story is just like this guy being a dick in isolation or whatever. And it doesn't really work. It's not a story. So I think for me, like 
Bastila is the main character of Knights of the Old Republic in my view. And, you know, people would say that in the original trilogy, they would call Darth Vader the main character and not Luke. And I don't really subscribe to that anymore, but there's a compelling argument to be made, I guess. And um, yeah, certainly as, certainly as time goes on, the way I look at Bastila as a character has really evolved. Um, and, and maybe the force awakens and, and last Jedi and stuff has like, uh, helped that along. But yeah, I, I definitely see her as kind of the more, uh, the character with agency in the story and, and Revan in his sort of, uh, mind wiped form is sort of like a, more of a passive observer, you know, kind of like, uh, sort of stumbling through the story like uh i don't know yeah like in a lot of like like Jin or so uh is a little bit different than than ray right whereas in like in the force awakens it's really about ray like seeking the things that she wants whereas Jin or so is like my dad it's the guy who built the death star and so she's sort of getting dragged through this like crazy series of of events you know it's sort of like a different um sort of way a story can be told and um yeah i I really like looking at kotor as sort of bastila's story even though that's yeah i don't i don't know how common that is it's just something i've thought about in the last few years that's a great take uh brian and i we we do pitches of like a kotor trilogy it's never gonna happen but we just have fun pitching it like on our on our podcast and like (laughs) i think like when we're kind of in the middle of like the second film we're like wait maybe we didn't come to the like the same uh point of view that that you did but i was like this is almost just as much a bastila story like in the mid-tier of the of the of our proposed trilogy that's never happening you know and it's like this is just Mm -hmm. as much her story you know and I hope, like, if it were to be adapted, like, uh, giving her more attention and agency, that that would make it really cool, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's because the, you know, the player character, Revan, is almost just the catalyst to tell everyone else's story mm-hmm. in there. And that's why it works so well as a role-playing game, because Revan could literally be anyone, because he's just, he just exists for all of these other stories to be told kind of, kind of around him and, you know, kind of, you know, conversely, it kind of moves his story forward then. Um, so, yeah, so I, I definitely agree. It would need to to focus on some of the other characters and uh, any kind of an adaptation for sure. Yeah, and a, a lot of, uh, basically uh, most of the companion characters in KOTOR 1, and I, I want to say a lot of them in the second game as well, like they sort of go through that same sort of fall that Revan has. And, and so they, they all kind of pick themselves up, I think um, as sort of their arc where, um, so it ultimately becomes about this sort of uh, fall from grace and redemption. Like Juhani goes through that. Bastila goes through that. I think Karth has his own version of it. Maybe, um, you know, with, with the whole revenge thing and, um, I think the uh, the Zabrak guy in Kotor two, whose name is eluding me, I think he, Fader. you know, he's yeah, yeah, he he's got a whole like Revan backstory to him, I think, and then the exile. So at the end of the day, Star Wars is kind of like people make mistakes, and then 
they learn from it and grow ideally or or they get consumed by <laughs> the dark side and so i think that's a fun metaphor and they uh, certainly continue to lean on that with you know ben solo and all the other you know darth maul even is basically kind of this big larger than life character now who has a big arc like that so yeah i'd like to see more redemption through like living atonement rather than redemption equals death but maybe that's a whole other topic for another day <laughs> yeah but. it's a huge huge uh podcast unto itself and you know it'd make a lot of people very happy and a lot of people very angry <laughs> yeah. but i i do i do love that theory that like maybe darth maul is like still alive even after uh uh <laughs> rebels you know i i love that idea that um <laughs> you know Ben Solo, he's trapped in the world between worlds somewhere. Like, like hell yeah, go crazy. Like, sure, why not? Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I love that stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely subscribe to the idea that, uh, you know, troubled young people kind of need uh, stories that show them, like, <laughs> that they're, you know, people aren't lost forever and there is hope and, and redemption and th- you know, forgiveness. Like, I think these are like good things. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I like the scene with, with Ben and his father in rise of Skywalker. And, and I think star Wars does that well, you know, it works well as kind of a, a metaphor for, you know, adolescence and things. I think anyone, no matter what their feelings are, about Rise of Skywalker, like everyone loves the the Ben and and Han scene, and I think it's one of like the best scenes in in all of Star Wars. So yeah. Um. So if Boss Fight Books asked you, do you think you would do the Knights of the Old Republic two book, or would you say like, uh, nah, maybe, maybe another? I mean. I think there's definitely like a good story to be told there. I, I don't think that I'm the person to, to write that book. Um, it's just the honest truth. Like I love the first game like so, so much. And the second one, like I, I played through it once or twice, you know, I think, I, I think I beat it once basically. And uh, it's just the writing is spectacular. The characters are great. I just, um, you know, it's the difference between Halo 2 and Halo 3. Like, um, you know, I'd sit here and talk for six hours about Halo 2, and then Halo 3, I'd get bored after about 15 minutes of talking about it. I, you know, and there's, it's not that I don't like those other, the sequels. It's just that, um, yeah, I don't know. Just certain things resonate differently. And uh, I love Kreia. I love a bunch of the supporting characters in KOTOR 2. I think the planets and the lightsabers and, you know, how they got the Jedi robes to look and stuff. Like, I love all that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think I could, could write a book about it, you know, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it is. It's almost like that Knights of the Old Republic is like the Force Awakens and, like, uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2 is like the Last Jedi. It's like you get two very... Uh, different kind of modes of stories being told and it, it's interesting like I love KOTOR too but it's almost like the original KOTOR was like a 
an homage to the original trilogy and then yes uh, mm-hmm. knights of the older public 2 is like kind of like a deconstruction and almost like a literature course like about like philosophy like uh mm-hmm. just with Crea and totally you're absolutely experience. right so you're absolutely right yes and the things that i loved about the last jedi so much are probably the same things that pissed me off about kotor too you know what i mean <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> right so again it goes back to like the things that you like with star wars or the way you respond to things changes over the course of time and so the things that mm-hmm. you know i i replayed a good chunk of kotor too while i was writing the book or revising the book and things like that and um yeah like i i appreciated it so much more than i did when it came out i think in terms of the story um i found it kind of dull and hard to follow when i was 15 and you know would rather be playing halo so um but yeah going back to it now i see that it is a lot like the last jedi it's like very smart very well written so yeah yeah as a teenager playing coach or two you're kind of like what is this lady talking about? <laughs> and then like, as you get older, just like, uh, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like Kreia, like there's some really good thoughts mm-hmm. here. Apathy is death. And like, just like, uh, on, uh, Narshada where no matter what you do, if you help or not help the homeless person, like, it just is kind of like what you did is futile, but apathy is death. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like, wow. So deep, you know? And yeah. So some KOTOR, you know, uh, some people like one or two, some like both, but yeah. So it would be interesting to see if there is ever a boss fights book on KOTOR two though. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think that would be likely to happen someday. Yeah. I mean, Boss Fight's going to probably publish books on anything that is considered a classic that people would want to read. Probably, you know, any Final Fantasy or Zelda is eventually going to get a Boss Fight book. So I feel like the right mm-hmm. writer the right writer will at some point pitch KOTOR 2 and it'll be spectacular and better than my book and I'll love reading it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's so weird how the things that people say about The Last Jedi that sort of like make my blood boil... I look at my feelings about KOTOR 2 and I'm like, I see what a hypocrite I am. And I, <laughs> I think that's kind of the beauty of Star Wars is that uh, at the end of the day, we all take it a, a little too seriously. But, you know, I do love that line that Kreia has about like, you know, maybe Revan never fell. And, and when I hear that, I'm like, that sounds like bullshit that just sounds good as dialogue. And I don't really believe it about the character. Like, I think he fell to the dark side, but it just gets you thinking. It just makes you ask what if Mm -hmm. it gets you in that philosophical mode that good Star Wars, you know, thrives on things like Rebels and The Last Jedi. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I do love KOTOR 2 for that. Yeah. For Revan, I think it was a slope going into the dark side, not a abrupt fall. But yeah, yeah, it's always interesting. But um, what would you say is the most surprising thing that you learned uh, writing the the Knights of the Old Republic boss fights book? Surprising. Um, well, like a, there were just a lot of like little things about uh, like the the planet. Slaheron, like you know that that got cut 
you know, things like that. Mm, little, mm-hmm. little behind the scenes stories, um, where a lot of that was kind of news to me, um, as I was researching the book. And so, um, stuff like that comes to mind. Um, and just kind of how like normal and just everyday people like made the game, uh, you know, like people who were kind of in over their heads and they were just like some D and D nerds who, you know, like to draw or they like to tell stories or, you know, Casey Hudson, you know, like computer whiz who liked games and, you know, these mm-hmm. like these people, these people who go on to like make Dragon Age and make Mass Effect and like build these two hundred million dollar MMOs. Like they they started out as just some nerd who played D and D at his house in Canada, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's always inspiring and humbling to kind of learn that stuff and getting to know you know a couple of those people was was really uh, rewarding, you know, creatively and. Uh, if the book is any good at all, it's because I, you know, felt connected to in some way to, to a couple of those guys who, who got to work on the game and, um, you know, really kind of understood where they were coming from and like how cool it was that they got to, to do those things. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> you know, I think we can all imagine like the thrill of like getting to called on to, to to make a star wars game or something like that so it, it was an easy in yeah that was one of the interesting things i found in in the book and if you you know, just look at like bioware as a company is there's was a lot of the same core of people so they would do a project and then kind of graduate to the next one so they were always just you know kind of flying by the seat of their pants trying to figure out <laughs> how they were going to do whatever came next because it, it was you know a lot of the same people working on these projects, like you said, all the way up to, you know, these, these huge, massive things, Mass Effect and SWOTOR and uh, just crazy stuff. So I think the thing that I was kind of surprised when I, when I read it, it was like, oh, wow, like it kind of just comes back to D&D. So it's like kind of what you do growing up or, or with friends, like kind of like builds who, who you are, what you create at work. So that was that was a cool detail to learn like uh some of these names are are from D D, you know, uh sessions mm-hmm. and that that was cool. Um so is there like a boss fight book or an entertainment story that you think you would love to read or like needs telling or that you would be interested in in reading? Uh, well, I did have like a pitch for book number two. And so, um, somebody who is a, a more successful author than I kind of was, was chatting to me about that one point, you know, and said like, so what's your next book going to be? And I was like, well, I have this crazy idea. And so I sent him an email about it. Um, I guess with the, his intention being like that he was going to like look at it and maybe like pass it along to like his agent or something. And, um, hmm. I, I think he got busy with projects and then I never really heard back about it, but, uh, I did love the pitch and the pitch was, um, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man four that, that got canceled and, um, and just kind of, you know, there was that big Sony email hack. And, and so like all these sort of weird what ifs and 
of course now we're sort of living through that weird uh uh you know we're living in the age of like uh maybe toby's gonna be in the next movie maybe he isn't uh alfred molina sure is and then uh you know there's the whole tom hardy venom universe and uh you know this sort of weird um you know like anything goes uh war of of the worlds with with ips that we're living in um you know that that would have been really fun to kind of talk to concept artists and writers and who anybody who was sort of um attached to spider-man 4 um i think it was going to star like I think John Malkovich was going to be the vulture and I think maybe Anne Hathaway was going to be black cat. And that was kind of the direction they were going with it. And, um, there's a lot of cool, like concept art on the internet and stuff. And, uh, so, so sort of my aspiration was to like get Sam Raimi to talk for, you know, a few hours about what his hopes for Spider-Man four were before it was canned. And, um, you know, I haven't really thought about that pitch a whole lot in the last like year and a half, but because uh, I've sort of been, you know, trying to get back into like thinking more creatively and stuff. But yeah, that's that's absolutely like a book that, uh, you know, if, if one of the big publishers was like, uh, yeah, we'd love that book. And, I, you know, I even had like a great title for it and stuff. Uh, yeah, I I'd love to write that book someday if uh if I could get Sam Sam Raimi to sit down for a couple hours. Yeah, maybe 15 years later, yeah. you know? like <laughs> Yeah. So you've been writing about The Bad Batch. Um, is there... Are you looking forward to season two of The Bad Batch, or is there, like, another project uh, in the Star Wars universe you're looking forward to as well? Yeah, I mean, writing those recaps for for the day job is really fun and rewarding. I mean, uh, like on those days where I got to like wake up and like pour a coffee and like watch Loki for work or watch The Bad Batch for work, <laughs> like those are pretty good days, and I don't take them for yeah. granted. So uh, it's my hope that I'll get to keep recapping things like Hawkeye and Book of Boba Fett. Um, yeah, I, I I think Bad Batch is is really solid, and I think for a first season, uh, it really kind of was firing on all cylinders uh, more often than I think Rebels is my favorite animated show. Yeah, but I I wouldn't say mm-hmm. the first season was anything special. It's really like you know season three and four that that make it so special for me. And um, yeah, I, th- I think Bad Batch just. They got good writers. They got uh, good fruitful ideas about, uh, you know, what happens when the the clones are obsolete and the stormtroopers, you know, come in and and take their place and all that sort of weird stuff with, like, the cloning that they've, you know. They they have this weird problem where Rise of Skywalker, uh, you know, tried to explain things without explaining them, and so now we get to kind of fill in the the gaps with the uh, putty or whatever and be like so what is snoke and where did he come from and uh what's the whole thing with ray's parents what the hell is going on and you know yeah. uh that's fun like that's cool i mean the thing that really excited me about uh rebels for a long time was just that whole notion of the world between worlds and what there's like time travel in star wars now what the uh you know so 
I, I think that when a story like Rise of Skywalker, it like leaves some jagged edges, it ultimately, you know, good things come from that. And, and you get to kind of unpack, you know, meaningful aspects of the, the universe for like years to come. And so, um, I don't really, I didn't care that much about the clone troopers, uh, you know, for a long time, but, uh, bad batch, you know, did a good job of like making me care. And I think Omega is a good hook, you know, like, Definitely. um, yeah, it, it does a lot of the same things that the Mandalorian did, but, um, you know, the sort of, instead of Grogu, like just being like a, a cute baby, like you have Omega as sort of like the smartest, uh, you know, most like empathetic character in the show. And so it, it's a very different um, dynamic, even though it's sort of doing the same thing. Yeah. For me, like Bad Batch really came together, like in the finale. I'm like, I finally kind of like, all the pieces like came together and I'm like, I'm on board. Bad Batch is amazing. Uh, love it. Uh, what about you, Brian? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what do you think about the season? Yeah. So um, as a whole, I absolutely loved it. Um, now going through the individual episodes, I, there wasn't really one that st- stuck out as something that I didn't like, but I didn't necessarily see how the the pieces were coming together in a satisfying way but uh yeah as the season you know kind of progressed and wrapped up to an end uh you know kind of put a neat little bow on the first season and uh yeah i liked it a lot um like you i think rebels is probably my favorite of the animated shows so far um if i'm if i'm thinking of my favorite individual episodes they're probably coming from clone wars but the show as a whole is rebels but Mm -hmm. yeah i i really like the direction that the bad batch is going um, I don't think anyone was all that surprised when they announced the second season. So I'm excited to see uh, where it where it, they're able to go from here now that they've kind of laid the the groundwork for who these characters are and what their motivations are um, and kind of the state of the galaxy, you know, kind of right in the immediate aftermath of, uh, you know, Order 66 and uh, all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. You guys mentioned that that living redemption or whatever, living atonement. Uh, yeah, living atonement, I think, was what you called it earlier. Like, just the fact that, like, Crosshair is still alive at the end of season one, like, it makes me care about the show so much more. And, um, yeah, just the way those last three episodes were just so solid that, um, yeah, it had a lot of momentum by the end. Yeah. No one had better kill Crosshair. <laughs> or else I'm gonna lose it. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's certainly breathtaking to look at the animation team. It's yeah, spectacular job. So, I think the Camino in Bad Batch looks as good as it did in like episode two. At this point, like it just looks so good. Yeah. Yeah, looking at the Clone Wars movie and season one and two of Clone Wars and just looking at Bad Batch, and it's like, oh, night and day, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then when you do reviews of the Bad Batch, do you, like, is it one and done and you kind of have, like, your review in mind, or do you do multiple viewings? Um rarely would I watch it one time and just like crank it out because I don't really trust my, my memory is not very good. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that 
when I was like a kid, I would have said I had a photographic memory and I remembered like everything that ever happened to me. But, you know, <laughs> the last like 10 years or so are kind of a, a blur. And um, yeah, I I can watch a movie and like talk to my friends about it or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of forget about a whole scene or, you know, the first time because my my attention is sort of fixated on specific things so um yeah no usually i'd watch it at least twice you know watch it once for impressions and like thoughts and then the second time like making extensive notes about what happens and what i think about it you know what i mean and then Mm -hmm. so it's sort of a it's a three-step process it's like watch the episode like you know anybody would and then the second step is is you know basically outline my recap and and take notes about what happens think about it and then uh step three is just like write write the thing and send it off to my editor basically yeah that that's a good way of doing things uh because i'm like uh when it comes to star wars like sometimes I'll, i'll walk out of the theater thinking one thing and then i see it a few more times and then uh just like mm-hmm. maybe a year or so and then like maybe five years later I'm like oh it, it's changed you know so sometimes you just kind of can't just go with your gut reaction you know and uh yeah I think the best reviews kind of come from a place of uh nuance and kind of just seeing things uh play out a, f- a few a few times so yeah I just marathoned all the Star Wars movies recently just for like something to do. And um, like my rankings like completely changed from, you know, the last couple of years. So it, it, it really is crazy how, you know, the things you thought you hated or the things you thought were your favorite, it really does kind of evolve over time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what order did you watch in? So interesting. The, uh, the sky talkers podcast, uh proposed oh okay yeah i don't know if you saw that but it's called like the nesting order um Mm -hmm. yeah like the russian nesting dolls yeah yeah i was sort of like i was like this is weird enough that i want to try it and uh because i already had had the idea of like i want to watch like episode one and then episode nine like after it and just like just try things Mm -hmm. like that and see how the different movies kind of interact with each other, like visually and thematically and stuff. And, um, yeah. So it it goes like force awakens and then last Jedi. And then you sort of go back to a new hope and empire. And then you watch the prequels and then you watch return of the Jedi. And then you watch, uh, rise of Skywalker. And it was, it was fun. It was interesting. It made me, uh, a lot more content with the rise of Skywalker than I, you know, sort of like, instead of being like my number 11, it's more like my number seven (laughs) or eight now, you know? So, um, I I sort of made peace with that movie. (laughs) And, uh, even though there's like certain things that I absolutely hate about it, like when you watch the, the nesting order, as they called it, like it, it kind of fixes some things in my mind, but, um, Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of randomly watched like Rogue One and Solo after that. And yeah, those those rankings stayed the same. I think, you know, Rogue One pretty much uh, stayed at the bottom and Solo stayed in the middle and like whatever. You know, I like those, but uh, 
I, I like pretty much everything Star Wars, but I, I just have my sort of weird fascinations and yeah, you know, I'll always be like an Attack of the Clone apologist and. I'll always be like Rogue One isn't as good as you think it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've just you know you know how it that. is. Opinions opinions are weird like that. You know, it just kind of uh, some yeah. some things. You know, Attack of the Clones. Ugh, like it's a beautiful movie, and like maybe it's not the best executed, but I'm like, oh, it's just so interesting. Like uh, Anakin and Padme's romance is like, I think it actually was. Like, the dialogue and acting isn't always, like, on point, but I'm like, oh, right. it is interesting what they're kind of doing. Like, they're setting up a romance doomed to fail, and I'm like, I think they're, I think it works, you know? Like, and yeah. just a lot of different things kind of going on in that movie, and it's endlessly interesting, and I'm going to be doing a, a podcast episode with Galaxy of Film talking about it, so I'm nice. looking forward to bringing more nuance to that discussion. But um, yeah, like what what's your order, Brian? Uh, so the last time I went through all of them, I just did um, in uh, episodic order. So we did uh, one, two, three, uh, Rogue One, Solo, A New Hope. Um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, so I went uh, that direction. Yeah. Uh, with it, but I I am interested in in doing yeah either the nesting doll order or um, in the ring theory uh, kind of that order uh, just just mixing it up a little bit and playing around with it and like I said seeing if it sheds some uh, different perspective on it. But yeah, the last time I did it, I just did it uh, kind of straight chronological order. Yeah, uh, I do one two four five three six seven eight nine like chronological but the twists are mostly intact so uh and then i i just watch rogue one or solo whenever but yeah there's lots of different ways to star wars and uh yeah yeah but that's the fun thing so um definitely yeah so if you were in charge of all the things you know um mm -hmm. what's next for the kotor story like would it get an adaptation would it be an animated show or a new video game um th so the the sort of prevailing open secret slash rumor with uh the video game side of things is that there's likely a, a remake of sorts or reimagining and development at uh aspire media or aspire games or whatever the the studios actually called <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. they, uh they've been like handling the ports of the kotor games for years on like mobile and mac and stuff like that and so they you know they really know the games inside and out and i i hope that that's true and that it gets released and that it's great um i do think that sort of like a a more canon friendly version that maintains like the spirit of the original. Uh, that sounds like a really good, um, not compromise, but like, you know, uh, that sort of best case scenario, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that the, the original game for me is still just as almost perfect as it once was, you know, I don't think I have a lot of complaints about it, you know, a lot, but but you have younger people who play it and they're like, oh, these graphics are horrendous. I can't, I can't take it, you know, save rolls. me from this awful <laughs> game. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, so like whatever gets people to like experience KOTOR in some way is cool. And yeah, 
you know, I would want it to have turn-based combat, and it sounds like the rumor is that this reimagining won't, and so I'm gonna, like, probably have mixed feelings about it, but I'm sure it's gonna be gorgeous, and I'm gonna love the story, and seeing seeing it retold with, like, new probably stronger writing, because video game writing is just way better now than it was 15-20 years ago, so Mm -hmm. um... Yeah, I definitely have a lot of thoughts for what my ideal like movie version or like what my dream Star Wars game would be. Um, but but uh, you know, a, a reimagining of Kotor that just looks great and is kind of updated for modern gamers or whatever. Like, yeah, bring it on! Like, I'll, I'll eat that up. So, yeah, uh, new Kotor stories, bringing in new Kotor fans, like. Something we can, like, old and new can probably, like, both enjoy. So, that's my hope. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think there will be a game and then it'll probably get some mentions, you know, in in the High Republic, you know, that's already been happening and uh, Disney Plus shows, I think. So, mm-hmm. did you have any KOTOR fan casts at all? I actually I did a Twitter thread about two or three years ago, and uh, I I linked to it on Facebook for whatever reason. And actually, the uh, the guy who was the the director for the concept art on Kotor gave it sort of the thumbs up, and so um, <laughs> I, I was canon, pretty happy with that. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah. So I remember most of I I delete my tweets every like two or three years because yeah. I just. Twitter is just kind of a weird cesspool of, uh, anyway, I love Twitter. Um, but so it was, (laughs) it was, um, oh gosh. Uh, Winston Duke from us as Revan, uh, Gemma Chan from like crazy rich Asians and, uh, the upcoming Eternals movie as Bastila. Um, I think I had Javier Bardem as, um, Candorous Ordo. I had, I had I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, the really handsome dude from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night who like dresses up as Dracula and ends up like going home with like an actual vampire. <laughs> uh, uh, he uh, I, I have him cast as uh, Karth in that thread. Um, I thought I thought Leslie, what's her name? Leslie Rose from Game of Thrones. Um, the uh, Jon Snow's sort of uh, girlfriend who gets killed in like season three or whatever. Yeah. Um, spoilers. Sorry about oh, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had her as uh, Juhani. Oh, that'd be um, Okay. Mm-hmm. I had the guy who plays Frankenstein and Penny Dreadful. I don't remember his name. <laughs> I had him as the Zabrak Baudur that we were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. I, I liked that for some reason. Um, I thought that. Uh, Freddie is it Freddie Highmore from Bates Motel? Yeah, and mm-hmm. Charlie so I, in the Chocolate Factory. I, I love him in Bates Motel, and so I, I had him cast as HK 47s voice. That, um, oh, yeah, you have a future then, in casting, I think. So I'm like, I want to see I know. this movie. I, for one, think these are brilliant castings. No, uh, but uh, yeah, no, and then I, I had Ben Foster as Malik. Uh, ben Foster is like that actor who's like always amazing and everything he does, but like, he's never really been a star for whatever reason, he, but he's so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in like three ten to Yuma and um, uh, 
he's with Chris Pine and um, Hell or High Water. Um, I think he'd be a great Malik. Um, I can't remember who some of the other ones were. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but the, those were like the main ones. I think I listed most of them. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then um, yeah. what upcoming movies? Yeah, are you looking forward to? Right now, this moment, I am very angry that my theater doesn't have the night house. I really want to see the night house. Um, uh-huh. So, so I'm excited for that to hit VOD. I guess I would have rather seen it at my local theater, but uh, and then uh, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to go see Candyman. Um, I'm really excited to see Halloween Kills. I'm really excited for um, what else? So a lot, a lot of like non horror stuff too. Uh, but my mind's kind of a blank at the moment. I guess the Batman. Like I said earlier, I I loved Matt mm-hmm. Reeves. Matt yeah. Reeves did. Um, let me in which was like the u.s remake of uh let the right one in and he killed that and so i i'm really excited to see the the patents and batman um and then yeah i'm sure there's like a whole like other list <laughs> there's a whole list of movies that i'm excited for that i'm just kind of blanking on but uh yeah, yeah those are sort of like the immediate ones that uh come to mind for sure yeah those are the big ones yeah and better call Saul season six like i i want that more than oh, yeah. more than any other piece of entertainment i want better call Saul season six so oh for sure yeah uh i'm looking forward to dune uh yeah that mm-hmm. looks amazing uh and i think it's it's gonna do the novel justice and because I, I recently watched the David Lynch Dune movie, and it's like, oh, this is really good mm-hmm. promotional material for like, <laughs> the movie coming out. Because just the last <laughs> half, I was like, what? They're just cramming. Okay, I guess they're just cramming this in. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is. I can tell, like, uh, David Lynch just didn't have control over the cut. But so, yeah, just looking forward to forward to dune and the last duel but what about you brian um yeah definitely looking forward to dune um it'll be interesting to see how spider-man comes together at the end of the year right? yeah. i think that's still coming out at the end of the year um so i guess i i'm looking forward to it because it'll be good but i'm also just looking forward to see how like insane it ends up getting um but i'm also i'm i'm actually i'm really looking forward to the next James Bond film because I think yeah. uh, Remy Malek's going to be uh, an amazing villain. So I'm excited yeah. to just see it, you know? <laughs> and you, you mentioned last duel, which reminded me the house of Gucci is way high on my list. Uh, yeah. House oh of yeah. Gucci. Yeah. That looks amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and I think it's been about two hours, you know, so this, this will probably be <laughs> our longest episode. We could talk forever, but you know, like, yeah, yeah, I know you have you have things to do, uh, but um, where can our our listeners like find you and keep up with uh, what you're writing? Uh, Review.com, usatoday.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Alex J. Kane, K-A-N-E. And I actually um, I wrote two chapters of a book that's coming out soon that's like the sequel to Supercade. So it's like Supercade 2 is what you could call it, I guess, but it's it's sort yeah. of a different range of years, like 1980-something to 2000-something. And uh, so I wrote the chapters on the Nintendo 64 and Super Mario 64. So 
yeah, that's coming out in like hardcover as well as paperback. And it's like a coffee table book sort of exploring video game history. So kind of excited Mm -hmm. to see that, you know, check it out. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So Alex Kane, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time this evening to come on and talk about uh, your work and, you know, entertainment, movies, uh, TV shows, books, uh, talking about KOTOR and the book that you wrote, the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic by uh, Boss Fight Books. So thank you so much for coming on and thank you everyone at home for listening uh, and may the force be with you. And you can find us on Instagram at Old Republic Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. And if you want to connect with us on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. On Patreon, the link is in our Instagram bio, or you can find it at www.patreon.com slash Old Republic Podcast. And the Old Republic Podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscription, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro theme was composed by Dennis S. Mowers at DennisMowersMusic.com. Our outro theme was composed by Alistair Sherman at AlistairSounds.Wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at ChristianWalkerMusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the Force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.